0: Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the got to get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.
1: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
2: Does negative thinking derail you? If so, I have seven tips to help you reshape your thinking. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Monica Johnson. Every week on this show, I'll help you face life's challenges with evidence based approaches, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. It's a new year, and you want to have a new you. You set an intention to adopt a brand new mindset, but it probably took you less than 10 minutes to realize that it's easier said than done. You may fall victim to all or nothing thinking perfectionism, or an ever-present inner critic. No matter the mental malfunction, here are seven tips to help you rise above the unfounded negativity of your mind. Number one, identify the malfunction. You may have heard the phrase, name it to tame it. This definitely applies to negative thinking. If you can identify and label your unhelpful thinking pattern, it's easier to work around it. It can also be fun to give your common patterns silly names like, hey, there's perfectionistic Patty showing up. When you're aware that a problematic pattern has arisen, it can cue you to think about how this pattern may be affecting your judgment or your emotions about yourself or a situation. Tip number two, be a detective. Examine all the evidence that supports or challenges your negative thought patterns. We have a tendency to accept our thoughts as facts without question. When you engage in that behavior, you're essentially engaging in punishment without due process. Examine your thoughts and look for loopholes. For instance, if you have the thought, I'm always failing, look for times when you didn't fail. If there is one time where you succeeded, it means you're automatically wrong, which at a minimum softens the thought. Now you have to change the thought from, I'm always failing, to, I sometimes fail. Or, in this instance, the situation didn't go the way I desired. None of those feel great, but the emotional impact of the word always is equivalent to getting sentenced to life in prison whereas the softened version is more like three years with time off for good behavior. If we can get in the habit of being a good detective, then we can always remain a few steps closer to being free from our negative thinking. Tip number three, be a scientist. Do an experiment to check the validity of your thought. For instance, if you have thoughts akin to, no one cares about me. Test it out. Like a good scientist, you need to have reasonable parameters. Don't reach out to the guy who ghosted you three weeks ago, as that's only setting you up for more rejection. Try contacting one of your friends, a parent, a work colleague, your sponsor, or your therapist. I'm confident one of these sources will have a welcoming response. Now, I know what you're thinking. When I had that thought, I wasn't thinking about my mom. My mom doesn't count. Anyone who grew up in an unsupported household can tell you quite adamantly that parental care does count. This goes back to defining the parameters. Did you mean that no one cares about me romantically at this time? That might be true. But as a good scientist, it brings up more questions that we have to explore. like. Am I acting in ways that will lead me to get a romantic partner? In what ways can I experience connection with others that will be satisfactory to me? Am I ready for a romantic relationship? Why am I idealizing romantic love over other forms, like, for instance, familial, friendship, or other support systems? Explore the answers that arise when you go through this process. Again, it forces you to be thoughtful about your thoughts. A good scientist doesn't try to manipulate the outcome to match their hypothesis. They set up sound experimental conditions and allow the chips to fall where they may. Sometimes, like in the example I just reviewed, you can come up with more questions than answers initially, but you need to keep adding in new data and refining the process. Eventually, you'll get to a place where you know through repeated testing that several people do care about you. However, at this moment, you are frustrated with your lack of dating prospects. This second thought is more accurate than the original thought.
0: Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday.
2: A Hundred Shades of Gray. This strategy is helpful in combating that super common, all-or-nothing thinking. Instead of thinking of success in terms of a binary pass-fail or yes-no, measure things on a 0 to 100 scale. This will allow you to think about events in degrees of success. For example, if trying out that new recipe didn't go quite according to plan, you can say to yourself, This was a 70% success, and make note of any lessons you can learn from to improve the next time. Number five, survey says, I'm challenging my best Steve Harvey here. Or if you're old school, you might think about Richard Dawson. This method involves outing yourself a little bit. For instance, if you think you're the only person who gets nervous when speaking to new people, You can survey people you trust, or even strangers if you're feeling friendly, and see if they have struggled with this as well. What you will find more often than not is that you're not alone. Other people think, feel, and behave in ways similar to you. Talking about these things with others normalizes these experiences. Number six, define and refine. This is something that I say some variation of to my patients on a daily basis. How do you define that? What does that mean? What is the definition of blank? We react to vague internal statements all the time. For example, you might be a person who works a standard 40-hour week, and after a long day, all you want to do is take a hot shower and relax. However, when you're sitting on the couch trying to relax, you don't allow yourself to get comfortable. Instead, you think, ugh, I'm being so lazy. That's when Dr. J swoops in to say, what is your definition of lazy? I'd bet good money that the definition isn't someone who wants to rest after a full day of work. What's more likely to be true is that perhaps you grew up in a family that was high achieving, or maybe you believe your value to others is based on how much you can produce. Therefore, it's making it difficult for you to relax in circumstances that are completely normal. Which means that calling yourself lazy is both untrue and unhelpful. What is more helpful is figuring out what makes it difficult for you to engage in self-care. Number seven, find and replace. We've all used this function on our word processors, and now I'm going to ask you to use it on your brain. This method is super helpful for quote unquote should statements, which is a type of cognitive distortion. The goal here is to substitute trigger words or phrases with less emotionally charged responses. For example, If you misplace your keys and internally yell at yourself for being such an idiot, you can change that to, I'm really frustrated that I misplaced my keys. It might seem small, but it's not. How many arguments have you gotten in or witnessed that were over semantics? Word choice and phrasing matters, not just to others, but to ourselves as well. The goal here is that when one of these statements arises in your brain, find and replace it. Over time, you will discover that you'll more often default to the replacement phrase. Which of these strategies do you think you should work on this week? Let me know via Instagram at kindmindpsych, via my email at psychologist at quickanddirtytips.com or leave a voicemail at 929-256-256. 2191. The Savvy Psychologist is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickiberg with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller and our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. Follow Savvy Psychologist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this episode of Savvy Psychologist. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.
0: Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.